Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Katie Meyer in for Scott Lamar this morning. My guests are Mark Levy of the Associated Press and Steve Essick of The Morning Call. Thanks for coming in, you guys. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So we uh, we do a podcast every Friday. These guys are frequent guests on there. So this is going to be sort of like that, a reporter's roundtable of the latest stuff that's been going on in the state capitol. There hasn't been, this week's been a quiet week, but we're kind of coming on the heels of a surge of activity from our lawmakers. One of the, I think, the highest profile things that they've been working on, and this has been a long time coming, is a Marcellus Shale tax. Um, the House took that up last week, and uh, this has been, again, as I said, a long time coming. Democrats and moderate Republicans have been pushing for this tax for literally a decade now, and uh, it hasn't gotten to the floor until now. Um, but uh, it's kind of unclear where it's going. So, uh, you know, Steve, what have you? Uh, what are we seeing with that? It's just politics, in my opinion, from the House. Uh, it was um, there was no reason to do that debate in um, late November, in my opinion, because the uh, budget was already done. So why do it? And I, I wrote that story that says it looks like a, a campaign ploy, a political ploy to help moderate Republicans in particular in Southeast PA. It's their bill. Uh, they they didn't get a uh, the majority of the Republicans who who control the House, they are more conservative financially than uh, the folks from Southeast Pennsylvania. They block these similar bills. So in the story I wrote basically said there's there's really no other reason to do this except for the 2018 primary election and general election that is fast, fast approaching. I didn't see any reason for it. Yeah. And so just you know, to contextualize, this bill uh, is one of many severance tax bills that have been introduced um, in the House at various times. This particular one would only raise about $100 million. It's not a very financially substantial bill, but uh, what's being tacked onto it, and this is really the controversial part of this, is a lot of uh, permitting changes, changes to environmental permitting that oil and gas companies use when they're drilling. Um, so now, Mark, so like what if... What are we like? Why does that matter that we're seeing this? Well, one of the uh, industry's biggest complaints uh, with how they're regulated is the time it takes for them to get a permit to drill. And they say that it's it's unpredictable. It depends on which region you're drilling in. It could take a long time to get a permit. Um, and the longer they wait, the the harder it is for them to keep their rigs and their crews and their equipment on ice waiting for a permit. And so it, it, it hurts them. It's costly for them. It hurts the economy. So these permitting changes are designed to speed up permitting, to give more predictability to it. Whether it actually works that way or not is uh, is a question, and a question that's been raised by people in the business community, for instance, the uh, Chamber of Business and Industry here in uh, Harrisburg. So... The other problem with tacking these things on is that if you want this bill to pass, you may be splitting the supporters of this bill. There may be Democrats who peel off and refuse to support it ultimately in the end. And um, there is some suspicion among the rank and file that the bill ultimately will collapse under its own weight. Well, right. And when we say under its own weight, this thing has almost 400 amendments filed to it. Now, we started debate on those uh, last week. Didn't get very far. How many amendments did we even get through, Steve? Oh, uh, 
It was I, like a handful. Uh, yeah, I have absolutely no idea I think it was how many. It was, all, it, it was a long debate on, on each one. But it, it seemed to me as, as, as I was uh, listening to it and watching it that, that a lot of the bills were almost uh, – or, or amendments, excuse me, were almost tripping over each other. A lot of them were saying the same thing over and over again. And I think p- part of the debate here is you know the um, – the shell industry did create a financial boom for a lot of the rural areas where, where this occurred. They didn't have a lot going on up there. And the folks who really want this shell tax, you know, visually they don't see the benefits of their um, – of, of of the industry, the financial benefits. Now, the the industry itself will say, well, your gas bills are down. However, you know, you're – they're – Pennsylvanians on on average are, are still paying more than than the national um, cost for for natural gas, according to a recent uh, University of Penn study. So, um, as you don't see those benefits, you didn't see those benefits until you actually see the pipelines coming in. And now you drive up and down the the uh, Pennsylvania Turnpike toward Philadelphia, and you see all the construction going on for for those uh, pipelines. So I think that also is driving the more current debate right now. You saw in the Senate earlier in the summer over the budget where um, uh, two senators, Senator Lisa Boscol from the Lehigh Valley and uh, Senator Andy Dineman in Chester County, they voted against this uh, the, the budget bill Per, because they, they said that severance package that was in the Senate bill didn't have anything for their communities that were being impacted now by the pipeline. So it's becoming more of a statewide issue as, as this debate unfolds. Yeah, and it certainly has been, again, as you said, divided by area. People in different regions are impacted differently by this, and they vote differently. So now um, going into, as I said, we have like hundreds and hundreds of amendments filed to this thing. I mean, a lot of people saw this get onto the floor and they were like, this is historic. This is a big deal. Um, Do people have reason to feel hopeful that they're going to get a severance tax? You know, it's it's hard to tell. Um, like, like I said, it's there's there's a suspicion among some of the members of the rank and file members of the House that this will collapse under its own weight. Um, any bill that goes through uh, this lengthy amendment process, you know, the longer the process is, um, it's probably fair to say that the longer its odds are of, of getting through. Um, and, you know, this bill, this Marcella shale tax has a lot of opponents in the House. Mm. I mean, they're, they're, the support for just a pure tax um, is probably f- fairly close cut uh, compared to the to the opponents. So, um, you know, you're walking a fine line. The House Republican leadership opposes it. And that that's difficult to overcome. When when leadership in the chamber, the majority leadership opposes something, it is very difficult to get it passed. Yeah, and I wanted to note too, House Speaker Mike Terzai, who is you know one of the strongest voices against this tax. He you know he's held his own press conferences saying, "Don't vote for this thing." Um, he's running for governor, and he's maintaining his seat as House Speaker while he's doing that. So I mean. Does that have an impact on how he's going to treat this bill? I mean, he's always been against it, so it's not like it's really going to change his point of view necessarily. Well, th- th- that's what I said initially was the politics. It's not some. It's all, it's helping the southeast republic, southeast PA Republicans, but it also you know could be for his own gubernatorial campaign. He could turn around to, as he travels the state, 
for his gubernatorial campaign said, hey, I, I allowed the debate on, on the House floor. We'll see where the chips fall. You know, um, so but, you know, as w- w- with the amendment process that's there w- with any bill that is close to succeeding, y- you have to compromise. Right. So if you're going to tax something for the most part, there, there's always uh, something else. And the Senate has said we won't agree to the severance tax without some changes to the permitting process. And, you know, we'll see uh, h- how much changes, if if any, but also. Is the Senate passed this as part of this big, broad uh, budget deal? This is a freestanding um, severance bill in the House. So, how if it passed there, and I don't think it will, how would the Senate take that up if it's not part of this larger budget bill? Right, exactly. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. We're talking with Mark Levy of the AP, Steve Essick of the Allentown Morning Call. I do want to note before we move on to a different topic, Governor Tom Wolf campaigned on the severance tax. He is maintaining that he supports this, that he really wants to get this done. Is this an important thing for his reelection campaign? People are going to start thinking about that. You know, um, well, uh, Scott Wagner, the York's uh, uh, county state senator who's running for the Republican nomination to challenge Tom Wolf next year, um, was caught on audio tape by the Democratic Party telling a crowd in September that if the severance tax passes, Wolf will get reelected. That was sort of the nut of his comments. So certainly, um, they're you know taking him at his at his word at face value. There's some belief among uh, his opponents that this will help him if it passes. Uh, there's some, you know, political, conventional political wisdom out there that if it doesn't pass, he can then campaign on it again, saying, I've been uh, pushing uh, the legislature to do this. I'm, I'm a big uh, proponent of this. Um, it, it tends to test well in uh, opinion surveys in Pennsylvania. So, um you know, it's hard to say uh, whether it benefits him uh, more or less um, if it passes or as opposed to doesn't pass. But mm. it is a hot political topic. Yeah. So worth talking about. We're going to keep uh, with this issue. So stay tuned for further developments on the severance tax. Uh, next, I do want to talk because we've said, you know, election season, even though we're a year out, it's starting. You know, we're going <laughs> to. It hasn't ended. <laughs> it hasn't ended. It never went away. But yeah, so election season 2018 is going to be a big election year. And one of the interesting races that's sort of unfolding right now is the race for lieutenant governor. This is not always a really interesting race, but um, this year it seems like it might be. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Mike Stack, Democrat, um, has had some troubles this year. Uh, Steve, what's what's going on with Stack? Well, um, Mike Stack uh, and Governor Tom Wolf, well, first of all, in, in Pennsylvania primaries, it's a shotgun Marriage politically, the governor, the candidate for governor and lieutenant governors, they, they they don't run on the same ticket as they do in other states or you see at the federal level. So, um, this uh, Mike Stack won a five party race or five candidate race, and Tom Tom Wolf won uh, the the primary. They got um, forced into a marriage. They've never gotten along. They're um, they don't talk very often. They're that just was, different people. They, they, yeah. they, they are. Tom was from York County. He was a businessman. Mike Stacks from Northeast Philly. You know, flashy suits, flashy smiles, that type of thing. And um, just, you know, you got the central PA version of a Democrat and you got the Northeast PA version of a Democrat. And um, 
that that came to a head when Governor Wolf removed the state police security detail that the lieutenant governor had and basically removed the state employees over to Lieutenant Governor's Mansion over at the um, military base in Lebanon County there. And um, so that embarrassed Stack, and it opened up the door for all these Democrats to come into the race. Right. And Stack, his detail and other staff were removed because he and his wife were accused of verbally abusing them. So Right. Yeah. And, and, and not only that, but, you know, from, from a PR perspective, Stack didn't handle that really mm. that that well you know at at first and so again it's just all these democrats coming in there and let's mark how much is the lieutenant governor going to make this year oh geez i just wrote this story it's got to be in the neighborhood of one hundred sixty thousand. That's a lot of money yeah we have one of the highest paid is it the highest paid or one of the highest paid lieutenant governors in the country it's up there and we're the only one that gives up we're the only state that gives them a mansion and and i think it it bears discussing that this is a fairly low-profile job. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, Tom Wolf's been governor for three years now, and we've not seen Mike Stack do any sort of policy uh, uh, whipping for him in the Senate. We've not seen him going out doing um, public appearances, uh, trying to... Uh, trying to advance the governor's agenda. They're just... They just live completely separate lives, and... And the lieutenant governor, um, you know, chairs the pardons board, um, has a role with emergency management, and runs the Senate. But by and large, this is a sort of an invisible job that um, you're you're kind of there if something happens to, you know, the chief executive. Right. So now, talking about who's getting into this race, because we've got a broad field here, and it's sort of a, a grab bag of people and types of Democrats. Oh, so we have a Republican. We have one or two Republicans in the race, too, right? Uh, one, one announced uh, Republican, Jeff Bardos. And it's interesting, you know, like I said earlier, the uh, lieutenant governor and governor don't run together. Right. But um, Senator Scott Wagner, the gubernatorial candidate, one of them running for, as a Republican, and Jeff Bardos have announced that, that they like each other and they would like to uh, – <laughs> Hang, you know, they want to uh, hang out, yeah, <laughs> uh, and together in the mansions, and and part of their um, <laughs> part of their political, you know, angle to this was, hey, we have Governor Wolf and Mike Stack don't get along. If you vote for us and we win, we will be chums. You yeah. know, we will work hand in hand, right, right. and you know. That that has worked at times. I mean, Governor Tom Ridge and Lieutenant Governor Mark Schweiker were very close, remained very good friends. And when Governor Ridge um, resigned to run Homeland Security, um, Lieutenant Governor Mark Schweiker came right in mm -hmm. and um, took over. And, you know, um, I guess Stack and Wolf aren't the only ones that, that it hasn't worked out on. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so then going into the Democrats, though, because this is, a, I think, a, I mean, have we had this many Democrats running for this nomination before that you guys remember? You know, um, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I. Well, the uh, last election was five, okay. five, five Democrats in, in 2014. That's how Stack got in. You know, the, the, the vote is diluted right, here. Right. 
But it, it is unusual to see so many challengers to your sitting lieutenant governor. Right. So, and I think 2002, that there was a wide open field of maybe a half dozen Democrats running. Um, but yeah, it's it's unusual to have so many challenging your, your sitting lieutenant governor. Uh, and Mike Stack has said he is going to run again. Right. So the reason I wanted to bring this up today, too, is because um, R- Madeline Dean, uh, Montgomery County representative, she just announced that she's running. She's, I think, a, you know, a well-respected Democrat. She's fairly prominent on a number of issues. And she has said, you know, when she's making her points that when she's, you know, talking about how she's going to run, she says she's not going to take the mansion. She doesn't want to take other perks, trying to set herself apart from Mike Stack in those ways. He's gotten some flack for his spending for, you know, his grocery bills and just other things that he's expensed uh, for on taxpayer money. So that's what uh, Madeline Dean has said. We also have Braddock Mayor uh, John Fetterman, sort of a he, I would say, promotes himself as an outsider type figure. Um, then uh, Kathy Cazone, she's a Chester County Commissioner. Lancaster County Commissioner Craig Lehman. And uh, Ariana Berenger, she's a, an IT project manager. She's also an activist from Westmoreland County. So how do these people, I mean, a couple of them are a little bit more high profile, right? Who are we supposed to be watching here? John Fetterman, other than Mike Stack, uh, if, if memory serves, John Fetterman's the only one who has run statewide. So mm-hmm. John Fetterman um, uh, ran for U.S. Senate. Uh, last year, he started his candidacy in 2015. He lost in the Democratic primary, um, but he's sort of um, a minor um, media darling um, for what he's done in Braddock to try to revive what is a very down on its luck um, small steel town outside of Pittsburgh. So he's he's been profiled in, in major magazines. He's been on late night talk shows. He's um, he's done TED talks. He's he's you know he's out there. He's also six foot eight tattooed and bald so he's he's visually you just you can't you can't look away from right. him um so he, he may have an advantage from you know the campaigning he did in the u.s senate democratic primary getting around the state um, getting his name out there getting 20 percent of the vote in a, in a in a contested primary um you know it's hard to say whether that's remarkable or not i've seen people um who are completely no name who didn't even campaign for a u.s senate primary you know not not much to speak of and they got 20 percent mm-hmm so lots to talk about. Well, well oh, um, yeah. You know, with, uh, when you have so many people in, in the race, it, it does dilute a vote. And Mike Stack was able to win in part because he's from Northeast Philly. So he had that <clears throat> Northeast Philly name recognition. He had the Philadelphia Democrats uh, come out and probably pull the lever for, for him more than anybody else because he does come from a long running family of politicians down there. However, since he's been in office, his powers waned in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is notorious. They've long-running inter-party feuds, that sort of thing. But in his own backyard, he is, um, you know, the the feud is so intense that that they lost, the Democratic Party lost a local state house election. There's now a Republican in there. And Mike Stack's community where he's from is there's a there's a lot of cops there there's a lot of firemen that live out there so how would they react to the state you know the state police issue you know having his security detail removed so you have to wonder whether he really is going to have that that philadelphia support although congressman bob brady who runs the city democratic party has come out in support of mike stack but you know, really, what does that say when you when people go into the voting booth down there? 
Yeah, absolutely. We have to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Katie Meyer. Welcome back to Smart Talk. I'm Katie Meyer. We are discussing uh, state capital goings on. With me are Mark Levy of the AP, Steve Essick of The Morning Call. And uh, we welcome your questions and comments. Call us at 1-800-729-7532, or you can send an email to smarttalk at org. You can also leave a question or comment on WITF.org or on WITF's Facebook page. Again, phone number is 1-800-729-7532. So um, talking about a couple of things here, one of the things, I think this is just something that comes up perennially, is uh, legislative spending. We talked about Mike Stack's spending. I think just generally, this is an issue that people can get really on board with. Nobody wants their state government to be spending more money than they should be, especially when we are in a situation, as we are right now, where we just have chronic budget deficits. We already have a projected billion-dollar shortfall for the next fiscal year, and we just finished our previous budget. That's from the Independent Fiscal Office. So, um, you know, when these, you know, funding problems come up, we often hear just outcry from among the legislature and from you know, citizens at large. So, Steve, you had an article this week about um, the House, you know, sort of their inefficacy about, uh, you know, winnowing themselves down. Right. The, um, you know, the the mantra this past year, 2017, from all parties, the um, Republican, Democratic lawmakers, Governor Wolf has always been, we need to re- uh, reduce the size of government con- at, at, at all levels. Let's reduce the size, scope, and um, role of uh, state government, and part of that is with the with the legislature themselves. They got behind a uh, bill that the House did to reduce the the size of the House and the Senate. These types of ideas have been bandered around for many years, and they never go anywhere. However, they uh, for a constitutional amendment, the, the the bills would create a constitutional amendment, and the constitutional amendment would allow the um, voters to decide whether to reduce the house that bill needs two passages in uh, in consecutive legislative sessions that run every two years that bill passed in 2015 and 16 legislative session in the house and senate so it needs to pass in 1718 well the house it, it the bill originated in the house and so far it's dying in the house because they we've gone through almost all of 2017 and the house never took it up on a vote in committee or on the floor and i wrote a story last uh last week or th- this week i forget and basically said is where's the bill at mm-hmm. what are you doing you know it's basically calling them on the carpet that said okay put your money where your mouth is and muhlenberg political science professor Chris Bork, uh, he said, you know, he'll believe it when he sees it because <laughs> these bills always are bannered around political ploys to um, for, for voters. But when push comes to shove, when you're going to cut your own job, lawmakers push, you know, pull back and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And the lead author of the bill, State Representative Jerry Knowles, Republican from Schuylkill County, he says, uh, the leadership has promised me a vote on, on this bill. Well, and leadership says we're, we're going to run it. We're going to run it. And um, but they just didn't do it in 2017. And, you know, 
why is that that they don't run it? I mean, it seems like this is something that if it were to get onto the floor, lawmakers would be under a lot of pressure to pass it, right? Well, they uh, said. Well, the, the the bill right now is in the state government committee, run by State Representative Daryl Metcalf, Republican from. Um, Butler County, I believe, and he's been a longtime budget hawk, that sort of thing. But, you know, he he claimed he's been too busy to run the run the bill, but he's had 43 other public meetings on other topics. So the bill doesn't need a new hearing, he said. It just needs a vote. If he ran the bill and it got held up on the House floor, that that's one thing. I wouldn't have written the story or I would have wrote the story that says, okay, they got one more vote or two more votes. But right now, he didn't run it. So they they, they claim they're, they're too busy. You have to take them at their word. I kind of, the story kind of said, you know, reader, you, you, you decide. Right. And uh, we just had a caller and he couldn't stay on the line. But uh, David and Felton wanted to know, uh, legislators have broken the law, he says, by not passing a budget. Why have they not been taken to task? Uh, we did have a, a long impasse. Um, a lot of people say that is against the law to pass a spending plan without the revenue to support it. Governor Tom Wolf says it's okay. Uh, we have talked about this before, but for people who are interested, um, you know, what's the deal with that? Constitutionally, it's sort of <laughs> it's sort of squishy. I mean, you can you can read these passages in the Constitution, um, you know, different ways as to you know who's responsible for what. But you know, here's the other thing: is that when you say a budget is balanced, that is just a um, that that that's totally subjective. Sure. I mean, these guys in the legislature and in, in Harrisburg have passed budgets before that they said were balanced when they knew they knew or they they suspected that there were serious problems with them so um you know the the deeper question of when is a budget really balanced um they've they've passed budgets that they said were balanced even though it say relied on the passage of complicated casino and gambling expansion legislation <laughs> that would this provide a magical you know hundred two hundred million dollars um they passed a supposedly balanced budget this year that relied on taking two hundred million dollars from a nonprofit organization chartered by the state to uh, be a, a last resort provider of medical malpractice insurance um the this this nonprofit sued in federal court. A federal judge has has held it up. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I don't know if you can really get um, a lot of people to agree on on what a a, a bu uh, balanced budget really means. Yeah, and it's uh, worth pointing out that I believe there's a lawsuit in state court filed by. Um, a conservative uh, leaning think tank of one lawmaker and one citizen, they all joined together to to sue and say exactly what you, you just asked is or that um, listener just said is the budget's not balanced. You need to stop these shenanigans. You need to actually, um, you know, balance the budget and not just on paper where you do the math. But in reality, they know expenses are going up or it's going to be a whole lot harder to get the regulations rolling for 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 different things whether it's expanded um, um, gaming or medical marijuana or something along the those lines yeah 
Um, so <laughs> this is, again, one of those things that just comes up again and again and again, never really seems to be totally resolved. But, you know, worth repeating, I think, you know, Pennsylvania has the largest full-time legislature in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, have not had a great uh, track record at passing budgets, especially in the last decade. So, I, yeah, I mean, this isn't coming up for no reason. Now, um, I do want to say, um, well, first of all, you're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. If you just tuned in, you're home for NPR News and All Things Regional. I'm Katie Meyer, here with Mark Levy and Steve Essick, two Capitol reporters. Um, getting into, you know, the next uh, portion of what I wanted to talk about with this legislative spending, I think last week, maybe two weeks ago now, there was... Uh, a yearly audit that came out of uh, legislative spending, so the spending that uh, the House and Senate do every year, and uh, it takes a look at the surplus that they keep. Now, uh, this has been controversial in years past uh, because lawmakers, I mean, they do keep a relatively large surplus for themselves for various reasons. Mark, well, yes. and, and there is no legislature in the country that I found that has anything even approaching yeah. the size of this reserve. Um, I, it was some years ago where it exceeded $200 million. Mm-hmm. There's no legislature in the country that I found has anything remotely like that. Yeah, and that's why this is controversial. Right. So- uh, the state constitution allows the legislature uh, to to have a surplus in the event that there's a budget fight with the governor and they they can stay in in operation now this uh, budget i the, excuse me th- this audit uh, for for your for the listeners need to know that this isn't your traditional audit really where where somewhere they go in accountants go in and they tear apart your books and they look at everything line item by line item it's a very cursory review and because that's the rules the legislature set up for the auditor. It's not mm-hmm. the auditor's fault. The auditor's doing what um, they were told to do from the, from their client. And so the amount that the legislature's sitting on is about $141 million. And that is 33% of that is earmarked for lawmakers and staff's long-term pension payments, and post-retirement health care costs. So when this this year's audit came out, they said, oh, it's lower than, than last year or it dropped like 20%. But when you look at what is earmarked for the health care cost, all the other line items uh, went up. You know, mm-hmm. So the House went up, the Senate went up, all these legislative um, agencies uh, – Expenses went up, including our computer unit, went up by like $14 million, which was a 70-some percent increase. So um, when you take out that the, those earmarks for, for that post-employment stuff, it keeps rising right. and that's that, uh, that sort of thing. And, but uh, Senator Pat Brown, who's the uh, Republican chairman of the appropriations committees from the Lehigh Valley, he said, hey, that that's a three-month – um, expenses for for the legislature. So he said, and he's a CPA, and according to him, he said that is okay to do, and um, we're, we're okay holding that amount. Yeah, and let me just Mark's shaking let me his head. let me just insert something here that you know they say it's for if there's a showdown with the governor and they need money to keep operating and have this coequal branch in operation. But the fact of the matter is, they have used this money for just about anything they've wanted in the past. When Tom Corbett became governor and education was being cut, they threw $50 million from their reserve on the table to fund education. 
uh, when Rendell was governor, they threw money in to fund uh, essentially, you know, pet pet projects that they liked, money that would then flow back to their districts for whatever they wanted. Um, They've proven time and time again that they will use this money for just about anything they want. They manage it in secret. Um, The last time I looked into it, they had no real rules on how it was supposed to be used. So it may say $14 million for computers, but the fact of the matter is is they can can shift that money into whatever they want to shift it into. Mm -hmm. So it's and it's it's something they've been building and building and building for decades and even though their own auditors have recommended to them repeatedly that they should publish some sort of limit set some sort of rule on what limit is is acceptable to my knowledge they've never done that right and let's point out that uh uh, Pennsylvania's 500 school districts, they have to have a cap on their fund balances. The legislature doesn't have it. And um, as, as as Mark pointed out, they um, can, can use this money for, for whatever they wanted. So in 2015-16, when we had a really long nine-month nine budget fight, they, never, they didn't use all that money. Right. They went to banks and got out loans. And or they went to the Treasury in the case of the House Democrats and got advances to stay in operation. So um, they really don't need all that money right now. So it is, uh, as, as you pointed out, when you're short cash, as Pennsylvania repeatedly is, and you can go to the bank to, to stay in operations, what do you need that money for? Right. And just to reiterate what happened this year in case uh, anybody didn't follow that. So this report came out. Lawmakers were like, hey, our reserve is lower. We're pumping this stuff because we have this deficit. We're you know using it for useful things. And, you know, lo and behold, they were actually spending more. But new reporting standards made it look like they were spending less. Um, so anyway, you know, this is something I feel like this is. It's a little component of our state spending, but, uh, you know, is it indicative of maybe a larger issue that's just at play here? Well, this is this is a large, well-paid and powerful legislature. Um, They um, have found ways in every time, say, you know, major legislation passes, they find ways to uh, extend their power over how money is used even after they pass it. So... Um, you know, the transportation spending bill passes um, uh, and in 2013, and they make sure that some of it is going to be routed uh, to grants through a uh, an authority that they helped set up some years ago. This authority has lawmakers on the board that help decide how this money is spent. So um, they are the second biggest legislature in the country. They're the second best paid uh, legislature in the country. They are full-time. Right. And and and, they, and the the only legislature that's bigger than them is New Hampshire's, but right. they're part time, I think. Yeah, they are. Um, so, and when you're talking about you know the the, the Commonwealth Financing Authority is what Mark mentioned with with these lawmakers sitting on it. What, what I find you know comical and and a little bit is and um, is when those transportation funding ideas come through the Commonwealth Financing Authority. You'll have lawmakers that voted against that transportation funding bill sending out news releases and says, oh, I'm getting a new traffic light or this intersection in my community is being expanded or the bridge is being fixed. Well, what did you have to do with it? You didn't have the guts to vote for that transportation funding bill, but you're going to put out the uh, news release touting it right now. So it's pretty hypocritical. 
Yeah. Um, we do have a caller on the line, but uh, real quick, we're going to go to a break. Uh, you are listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Katie Meyer. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. Um, if you haven't called in, we welcome questions and comments. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send us an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. Or you can leave a question or comment on WITF.org or WITF's Facebook page. Again, phone number, 1-800-729-7532. Uh, next, we want to get real quick into um, one of the things that's been just you know, gripping the state lately, uh, redistricting. Uh, this is something that's been, uh, you know, I, I think it's gained prominence in the last just several months even. But we have uh, several lawsuits going on in Pennsylvania right now. Um, and those have seen some movement recently, right, Mark? Yeah. So we um, have this unusual circumstance where there's a, a lawsuit in state court that's moving along speedily, and there's a lawsuit in federal court in Philadelphia that's moving along speedily. Trial, and it begins on Monday. Trial in the state court lawsuit begins the following Monday, the 11th. So, um, you know, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if ultimately judges are going to tear up um, the districts and order them to be uh, rewritten, redrawn uh, in the midst of people saying they're going to run and we have an election in less than a year. It's sort of a bizarre circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a caller on the line just came through, Jim in Enola. Are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, Jim. How are uh, you? I'm great. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that you guys, all three of you, are doing a great job uh, it's important for us to have responsible journalists uh, holding the legislature and the state government's feet to the fire, and you guys are do just doing a great job. Thanks. Nice. Uh, so, and the other thing I want to say is it seems to me that all the stuff you guys are talking about ha has to have made a lot of people really frustrated, and people have to be wondering what they can do, and I want to suggest two things that people can do. The first thing is to contact your state senator and state legislator and urge them to support the bill that proposes to uh, reduce the size of the legislature. That's number one. Number two, and you were just talking about this uh, a little bit, uh, ask your state senator and state legislator to support the bills that would uh, uh, start redistricting reform, that would, that, uh, and in particular the Fair Districts PA bills that would uh, that would form an independent commission as non-political as possible to uh, to, to uh, reform the redistricting process. Uh, if you mentioned just a moment ago about the court cases, and the court cases are, in my opinion, are important, but I, I'm involved with Fair Districts PA. We don't think that uh, the court cases are the ultimate solution because what is likely to happen is that if the court throws out the districts, we're going to be back to the same flawed process of, of uh, forming new districts. So the ultimate solution is really an independent commission, in our opinion. So thanks for uh, taking my call. Thank you, Jim. Um, so yeah, a couple points we should probably talk about there. I mean, this whole question of, you know, lawsuit versus uh, bill, amendment to the Constitution. I mean, there are different merits to these things. Um, I mean, you know, what's Kind of, is there an ideal solution here? Um, I, the uh, party in power, first of all, 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 parties in power always get to re redistrict the maps, be it Republican or, or Democrat. 
last time the maps were, were redrawn, it was uh, the Republicans had a trifecta. They controlled the Senate and have controlled the Senate for a long, long time, the House and the governor's mansion. Other states, the Democrats are in control. So both parties have um, fixed the maps to benefit them historically. And that's always the wink, wink, nod, nod. Okay, you got to do it this year or th- this 10 years. We'll probably get to do it again, hopefully, the, the next time around. And uh, but in 2010, the the big problem seems to have been is that's when it it seems when you look at these lawsuits and and you look at the one in the U.S. Supreme Court involving Wisconsin, some other decisions is you had computer algorithms that really came into play here. So it really wasn't just a bunch of lawmakers, the winning party sitting around and carving up a map. They were really using computer algorithms to look at voting patterns, to look at all that other stuff. And that creates this mathematical formula that's now in play, I think, in a lot of these lawsuits. Right, Mark? Yeah. And um, I, I think I would make just a uh, couple points to what the uh, the listener said is, is reducing the size of the legislature. There, there may be pros and cons with that. That uh, I'm not necessarily sure that, that necessarily makes or will make your legislature more responsive to you. So mm-hmm. there's there's surely a debate to be had on that. Um, but uh, but uh, with respect to the uh, to the congressional districts, um, I, I, I would also want to point out that um, you know, in uh, 2014, I did a story on the current congressional districts. There's there's uh, 18 of them. 13 are held by Republicans. Um, most listeners may know that Democrats hold a registration edge in Pennsylvania. But, you know, Democrats helped pass this map. And uh, Mike Doyle, the Pittsburgh congressman, said that if we had been in control, if Democrats had been uh, uh uh, drawing these districts, then they would have done the same thing to Republicans and try to draw districts that were just as good for Democrats as these districts theoretically are for Republican Republicans right now. But the other thing is, you know, had these districts been drawn by redistricting commission, an independent commission, perhaps Republicans would hold 13 of 18 anyway. I mean, the, the point, the same point that Mike Doyle made about we would do the same thing to him, to, to, to the Republicans. He also said, Democrats need to do a better job of getting their voters out. Republicans beat them fair and square. So, um, you know, we don't know that different districts would necessarily have a dramatic effect on the makeup of uh, of the delegation. Yeah, and I do think that is worth noting because a lot of Democrats do pitch this redistricting reform as like, you know, that's the only reason we're not doing well in Pennsylvania. There's lots of good reasons. Why yeah, not. The, 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 there is. And uh, in in January of this year, I think it was January, the, this legislative session j- just started. And State Representative Steve, I, this comes to a story I wrote, uh, State Representative Steve Samuelson, a Democrat from Bethlehem, in my coverage area, stood on the House floor and accused the House Republican majority of of trying to ram through internal House rule changes, saying it's not fair. You need to talk to the the minority party too. Well, my story said, well, Steve Samuelson, if you feel like you're left out of the legislative process, there, put your money where your mouth is. He raised no money for himself or for his. Um, co-workers in the Democratic Party. He didn't raise any money, and you need money to run in politics. So if he wasn't willing to to help a, a um, state representative in western Pennsylvania whose district may be more Republican now, this redistricting, then he had really had no right to talk. And Steve Samuelson wasn't the only one. Dozens and dozens of Democrats in the state house raised no money 
for themselves or their colleagues in the last election. So they all complain about redistricting, that sort of thing, but they're not putting their money where their mouth is. And a lot of those same people are committee leaders. And you raise more money if you run a committee, especially a high-profile committee like education or energy or something like that. None of them helped themselves. But there are younger, more um, newer Democrats in the House who realize that and are coming out and calling their coworkers on the carpet for that. And that was part of my story, too, as well as former uh, – one of the state's uh, Democratic Party's former chairman, ex-state uh, um, rep T.J. Rooney. He now runs a consulting firm. He came out and he slammed them too. He says redistricting is part of the problem, but it's not the sole problem. If you're not willing to raise money, stop whining. Yeah. Um, you, yeah, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, talking with Mark Levy of the AP, Steve Essick of The Morning Call. We have a couple of minutes left. So going back to these lawsuits, because these are some high-profile lawsuits yeah. we have in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, one in the federal level, one in the state Supreme Court. I it's believe. in Commonwealth Court, yeah, in Commonwealth Harrisburg. Court. So um, what, you know, what should we be looking for with those? What are going to be the next steps here? It's 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 incredibly fast moving, um, and and that's remarkable. But um, you know, to go back to the maps here, um, the what Republicans did do to the congressional map was remarkable in and of itself. They were moving whole cities into uh, different congressional districts. They were stretching, they were breaking decades of precedent and stretching congressional districts. 90 miles, um, you know, congressional districts that had never been in, in, say, central Pennsylvania were being stretched there from eastern Pennsylvania to make them more Republican, to bring in more conservative voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Madonna, the uh, political scientist from uh, Franklin and Marshall in uh, Lancaster, uh, uh, at, at one point said that this was the worst uh, gerrymander in modern Pennsylvania political history. So these maps are remarkable. They are nationally known because of the strange shapes they produced. Yeah. And then going into, because we have, you know, some very high profile congressional races coming up. Um, you know, are these, you know, funky looking maps, are they going to impact anything? You know, as we go into these congressional races, maybe even beyond the maps, what, what should we be looking at? Well, you know, I, I, I find it uh, funny. Is, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about the legislature as a whole or Congress as a whole. But when you look at public opinion polls anywhere in, in the country, or especially in Pennsylvania, is people will give low marks, low approval ratings to Congress or the legislature. But they give very high marks to their local yes. person. Yes, name <laughs> so, recognition. Right, it is. It, it, you know, all politics is local. So if you change the map, does that mean an incumbent's going to lose? I, I don't know. Yeah, and, um, you know, there is concern um, from Republicans that their uh, seats that they hold in, say, more moderate areas of Pennsylvania and in the Philadelphia suburbs are in danger next year. Um, so those are things to watch. There is a special election in a suburban Pittsburgh seat, a southwestern Pennsylvania seat, um, in March. Uh, this stems from the uh, longtime uh, representative there, Tim Murphy, resigning last month. Actually, it's December now, so that would mean he resigned in October. It's not last month anymore. But um, So uh, Democrats hope they can pull off a win there. Uh, Murphy was a Republican. The, the uh, district itself voted heavily for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, even though uh, I I believe last time I checked there there were more Democrats registered than Republicans. But uh, these are the Democrats that uh, political analysts like to call Reagan Democrats, conservative Democrats. So 
it's a long shot for Democrats to uh, pull off a win there. But um, it is a remarkable year. There's some wide open races uh, in the uh, 15th around Allentown, where uh, Steve, your newspaper is. Yeah, yeah that, that and 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 the fifteenth, as Mark said, that, that that's one of those that historically has been in in the Lehigh Valley, being Lehigh, Northampton County, but that's been stretched all the way to Dolphin County near, near the state capital. So that one is interesting, and that's what pundits believe is is more uh, vulnerable for a Democrat to step in. But for that Democrat to step in, it's he or she's got to be that right Democrat, that that Reagan type of of Democrat, because the um, um, voting area is is more conservative, and the Lehigh Valley has been more more conservative. Democrats often went um, across the party line for Charlie Dent, who's um, decided not to seek uh, re-election to the 15th district, and that opened up these uh, seats. There's a um, lots of Republicans in in the seat running. Um, and 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 lots of Democrats, so that's one to watch. But you know, gerrymandering in itself is is not going to it, it doesn't cause a Republican to win a seat either, because you know up up north the seat held by Congressman Tom Marino that's in an extremely conservative Republican region of the state. So Republican traditionally has always held that seat, and the Democrat had it only because one incumbent had so many. Um, um, extramarital issues and that kind of thing. It was like a scandal. So a Democrat came in, but a Republican quickly beat him. Right. Uh, about a minute left here. Guys, what else are you looking at in the next couple of weeks? We've got a, our, I mean, January is coming up. So sort of a reset time for the legislature, right? Yeah, it's a reset time for them. They may have some end of the year things that they want to get through. There's um, reauthorizing the um, the uh, children's health insurance program chip, even though the, the yeah. federal government pays the lion's share of that, and they have Congress hasn't reauthorized that yet. But um, you know, uh, right now is an interesting time for people getting into uh, the races. 2018 is a big election year. U.S. Senate, governor in Pennsylvania, people are getting in. Um, they'll have to file paperwork in March to get on the primary ballot. And mm-hmm. and I I expect to see um, that some Democrats are are, are going to face primary challenges this year. People that have been longtime uh, Democrats in in the state house or the state senate or uh, in, in Congress, they, they're going to face it, their own challenge. It's very similar to um, 2010 when when Republicans found themselves facing a lot of primary challenges. There the, there's parallels there. So I don't think anybody's safe. They should. Um, a lot of campaigning going to be happening. And on that note, nobody's safe. Uh, thank you so much to our guests today, Steve Essick with The Morning Call, Mark Levy with the Associated Press. Um, and tomorrow's program, I'm actually not sure, tomorrow's Saturday, so nothing to report there. Uh, thank you for listening.